Hello and welcome to Midriff, the podcast about gender, music, and music gear. I am your host, Hillary Jones. It was Mother's Day last week and my family was super rad. Uh, I got to sleep in past seven o'clock. Watch out, world. Uh, I got pancakes for breakfast and I had some time to play music and rearrange my whole studio, which since my time is basically cut in half with this childcare situation right now, felt like a real treat. So it feels really good down here now. I'm down here right now recording. Uh, It's way less claustrophobic. I don't know if anybody else has a space like this, but I just had so much junk. Every time I would try to walk somewhere, I felt like I was going to trip, that kind of deal. Um, So it makes me want to be down here a lot more now. um, And that feels especially important since there aren't a lot of other places to go right now. And, you know, if you're quarantined with other people, you may have noticed that, you know, and obviously I feel lucky to have other people to be quarantined with. Some folks don't have that, but uh, if you're quarantined with other people, there is basically nowhere to go to be alone. In my house, even the bathroom is not a place where you can be alone because either a four-year-old or a dog is following you along. So it's nice to have a space to go where I don't feel like I'm going to trip on something and die as well. So uh, I also want to admit something that I am somewhat ashamed of. This is like true confessions. We're we're friends here, right? You can we we can I can share with you. So I, I also spent some time down there rearranging my pedal board, which is great. But here's the deal: I have had this Boss noise suppressor on, suppressor on my board for say three years, four years, maybe four. I don't know. Uh, and I never really knew how to use it. I try to be a person who's like fairly aware of my gear. Obviously, we're doing a gear podcast here, but like whatever reason, the noise suppressor sort of eluded me and I didn't ever put the time into it, partly because it was always at my practice space and I don't have my pedal board with me. Anyway, so I've been running about, you know, generally over the last few years, nine to 13-ish pedals and it's very noisy. And so I'm wondering, you know, was it like a placebo effect or something? And I convinced myself that it was working. I don't know. So anyway, on Mother's Day, as I was rearranging my pedals, I realized I should look into how to actually set up this noise suppressor. I researched like a trillion videos on YouTube. And after some trial and error, I was able to actually get it set up correctly. And now I feel like I could conquer the entire world. It's It feels wild. Uh, and I'm pretty sure... That, you know, when we eventually have band practice again, my bandmates are going to be real psyched about it. Maybe even audience members. I don't know how annoying it was to other people. But n- now that I notice the, the silence when it's on, I, I know what was possible. And I, I just didn't ever know that it was possible before. It's a real game game changer. And, like, I just didn't know. Uh, it's possible I was so used to the noise that it was like I had tinnitus and the constant buzzing was just part of my life. But it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. Uh, if you don't have one, I highly recommend it. And if you have a noisy setup like I did, it, it will really it will really help you out. You probably have one. You probably know how to use it. But if you don't, try it out. I recommend it. Uh, anyway, let's talk about our interview today. Today's guest is Militia Vox, who is the lead singer of Judas Priestess, the world's only all-female tribute to Judas Priest. That's right. Uh, she has a rad solo career and even creates her own music videos. She's sung with literally everyone, including, but not limited to, 
Twisted Sister, Living Color, Cindy Lauper, L7, Nancy Sinatra, the list goes on and on and on. In the interview, we talk about some of the many, many artists as well and opportunities as well that she's turned down, which is also just in, so intense. Uh, she's a multi-instrumentalist and super classically trained in piano. And she's also sponsored by Daisy Rock Guitars, which she discusses a little bit. And I think it's interesting because it's just so, Daisy Rock is so polarizing for folks. She's sponsored by GHS Strings, among others. Uh, Militia also talks about issues with gender and ageism in the music and music gear industries. And I delve into that at the end of the interview as well. If you like the show and want more people to hear it, please rate and review it on Apple Podcasts. There are also, there are links for that. There are links in the show notes uh, to follow along on social media and the like as well. Plus all of Militia's mentions, contact info and everything is there too. So as a heads up, we started our conversation here talking about John Williams and E.T. as one does. Uh, and we'll start from there. Here's Militia Vox. listen to the podcast switched on pop uh-uh what is that it's about basically like analyzing pop music using like music theory uh-huh. and so it's like this guy who's like a songwriter one's a songwriter one's a musicologist and they like go kind of deep on like analyzing pop music and they had originally gotten into doing it via I guess they were like what is the deal with call me maybe and they like felt like they had to analyze it yes <laughs> no and I was like it needs a deep yeah analyzation <laughs> they went deep yes uh they actually then they wrote a, wrote a book about it oh not just that song but other songs too anyway i would love to see their analysis of john williams like what because my you, you are much better like more classically trained by a long shot than i am mm-hmm. and so like for me i find that really interesting just to see what people like what are the techniques specifically that people there are, using. are like, and i've been like actually rereading those again and studying them again because you know to me i think musical passages are triggers absolutely there's actually like a music theory science about it. Like as far as like what intervals you can choose to have the desired effect, you know, there's all kinds of things like um, even the tuning of the instruments is a thing. All of my albums are tuned to 432, which is supposed to be the universal tuning that triggers like a more satisfying reaction in the listener than most music, which is tuned to 440. That's, that's hurts. That's killer. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I know the four, 440. That's like, yeah, that's so interesting. 440 is like regular, you know, that most people record and, and play in yeah. 440. That was kind of like a trap door that, a, that a, an engineer and producer that I was working with that he liked that ended up sticking for my stuff and then like ended up being like a huge pain in the ass when going to perform it live. That seems fair. <laughs> so, um... But it was cool because I actually, I can hear a big difference 
from when it's tuned to the tuning that it's recorded in 432 versus 440. I think like most orchestras record or tune to 440, I believe. I think you're right. Yeah. But it is, there's something, actually Pantera is like one of the few metal bands that recorded in 432. Really? Mm -hmm. There's something like more like emotionally and sonically satisfying. This is a dumb question. And we haven't even like, I have like a list of questions that I haven't even started yet. Like you haven't even even introduced yourself, but let's start talking about analyzing (laughs) Pantera. So... (laughs) So, so explain this to me. So is 440A, is that what that is? 440A? I don't know what that is. Is it like, a, is it the note A? I don't even understand. Okay, so. Um, so it's Hertz. So hertz. It's, is 440. It's the hertz. vibration okay. of the note. Right, right, right. Okay. So then if you're at a lower vibration, does that just make it sound heavier? Yes. Okay. That, I For sure. For sure. Yeah. So 432, what. What is the equivalent of that? So if you're normally, if a guitar is normally tuned to E, for example, is that like tuning down it's to? It's still E. What? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's still so E. I know. It's just the vibration of it is a different, it's a different vibration. I'm going to have to like, I'm going to have to dig into this. I know. When I, I first heard about it, I was just like. I feel like my brain is not able to comprehend. Like I get drop tuning. That makes sense in my mind. That's, but, like, but that's hurt- tuning of the note. I'm right. saying tuning of the vibration of the note right right right, right. um ah. i know it's kind of it'll it'll <laughs> it'll mess with your mind because like i've had yeah. people that like have tried to remix my stuff or play along with it and been like yeah why do i sound out of tune like what's out of tune <laughs> right. here like is it me yeah it's the recording you know the recording doesn't sound out of tune so what is that and it's like that's it's the actual tuning that's wild mm-hmm. but there's bands wow. that do it yeah, there are bands that I, do it. Like I have never. I mean, I I think I was thinking. I guess I was like, is it like microtonal? That's a different thing too. But like, uh, well, they I say that like four thirty two is like more along with the vibrations of nature. I mean, it's real hippy dippy shit. Whoa. You want to get into that? But like yeah. for whatever four forty ended up being like a tuning that was said to make people more anxious. So because of that, you listen. Is that a Western thing? You know? No, that well, there are some people that say it was invented by Nazis. Four forty. Oh dang! Yeah, probably <laughs> they would. Yeah, right. <laughs> like when you Google that shit, that's like one of the first things that comes up. Usually, oh, God, this is getting d- deeper by the moment. Yeah, but definitely, wow. like if you ever listen to my stuff and you're like, why does that sound a slightly darker than most? It's because yeah. of that. I'm going to mess around with this. I'm going to yeah. do some investigating. I need to know more. Yes. Seeing that you would, you know, we're supposed to be in like the Ronettes or something. <laughs> yeah. And like, uh, what was the other one? It was like uh, American Idol mm-hmm. or something, you know, like things like that. Like you were supposed to be doing those things and then you chose not to. Yeah. Well, I mean, the Ronettes thing was funny because it was just a gag, but it was like, oh, okay. I mean, I no, but I went to the audition. Like, obviously, you don't go to an audition trying to lose you go to win so i went kind of half for the story but like definitely just to see if i could do it i got down to like it was me and like three other people yeah and they were running so late that i had to leave Mm. and i because i had a show and i was already pushing it you know and it wasn't my show it was a show that i was doing to support an artist friend of mine at a gallery like it was like she was counting on me to be there 
I told them, I was like, look, I have to be out of here by X time. They got very cross with me. and was just like, <laughs> but they were like, if you leave, you're not going to get it. And I was just like, but I have a show. Like, you should respect that. And uh, they said, if you leave, then you're out of the running. And I was like, bye. Nice meeting you. Peace. And that was mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. And they gave me the filthiest look when I walked out the door. Um, the American Idol thing, my dad is still probably angry with me about turning that down. <laughs> Fucking Well, mom. I'm wondering... I'm wondering if there's like other stuff that you that I maybe don't know about, like the I because you obviously like you've played with a bajillion people, right? Mm-hmm. Like so like Yeah, once your once your name is in the hat that you're willing to do like sideman gigs, like it gets shared. You know, like But like so so who else what other were there any other like wild offers that yeah. you had that you had to pass? I'm sure there were. That's sure. Like, I'm curious what they are. Yeah. I mean some of them are just ridiculous. <laughs> but um Michael Bolton. Yes. Oh my God. Um, Kid Rock. <laughs> Moby. Wow. Yeah. I just like. I, I appreciate the range. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was all cool, but it was like most of it was like, I don't know, uh, with the Michael Bolton, the Kid Rock thing was like respect to them, but like I really couldn't live with myself singing their music on a regular basis. Yeah. Like I just couldn't. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. So like that, 100%. I was like, that was for my own mental sanity, but. And then the thing with Moby, like, I wouldn't have minded doing that gig, but the money wasn't right. So I was like, mm, not doing this. Yeah. Because, yeah. like, you make a lot of money. And it just seemed wrong. Yeah. You know? And it was like a bus and truck tour. And it was like United States, Mexico. And I was like, yeah. I was like, man, that just, like, it was just too. I was like, I'm not going to, you want me to rough it on a bus with all these, like, stinko dudes? And like, it's not my thing. It's your thing. And like, you know, I don't know. It's like, it was like, at that point I was pretty fried from black up singing. And I was pretty fried from the concept of making myself small. Mm -hmm. So this other person who, you know, has their thing, like I would be supporting them, but also like diminishing and squashing myself to fit into their buffet that they were offering you know I was just uh-huh. like I was kind of like mm. like I just didn't want to see it anymore and like I definitely didn't want to be you know moving in time with another black girl or you know mm-hmm. moving uh you know I don't know just if you look at any stage like that's like full production band and they have backing vocalists like everybody that's on stage gets to show the best of what they can do and mm-hmm. then for whatever reason, the backing vocalists are used in such a way. It's like, I mean, I get why they're there. And yeah, a lot of a lot of music does sound great with like, I'll be very blunt with black voices on it. Makes it sound mm-hmm. really fucking good. Or like gang vocals, choir vocals, whatever. I mean, there's, I mean, I'm not just saying black voices, I should, but that is a thing. It's a thing. It is a thing. <laughs> um, but backing voices do make things sound really full and beautiful. They can. It, there's a trigger there sonically, you know, to listen to big voices like that. That's why a lot of really famous people, are singers who can't really sing that great anymore, surround themselves with these right. beautiful voices. I mean, Michael Jackson, you know, had Judith uh, whatever, Hill or whatever her name is, uh, Judith Hill, right? 
the girl with the oh, anyway um right. so <laughs> uh or like you know elton john sings with tata vega she's like got one of the mm. greatest voices that ever existed and there's a reason for that but the 20 feet from stardom thing yeah like, did that like yeah i lived yeah. that you know yeah. and it's like like i said like i'm anyone that's lucky enough to have a career of that magnitude yes it's absolutely impressive i aspire to do a similar thing i wish i could do a similar thing in a way because i would want that kind of audience to hear the stuff that i've written because i'm proud of my work sure but like i sang with a number of people who the way they would talk to their you know fans and supporters was sometimes obnoxious or mm-hmm, like the mm-hmm. way that they would get awards or, or accolades and then just like throw them in the trash you know and i just feel like wait like this is so i don't know just so many things about it like it was just like yeah there's a lot of levels there. yeah there was a lot of levels and like i just got tired of it because you've worked in so many different like mediums like what is the like unifying theme for you across those different mediums yeah just like self-reliance is the probably the ultimate theme in all of my work self-reliance mm-hmm knowing yourself, being true to yourself and who you are, and just, like, being a badass and just, like, not taking what you're given, you know? Just, like, Mm -hmm. taking what you want, going for the things you want. Because I've always had to rely on myself to survive any of these situations, you know? That was my next question, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's just, like, I think love it or hate it, like, I've always been true to what I need to do and look at what I need to accomplish And I've always said, like, I've done this all with very little assistance, which is Mm -hmm. what I think there's a misconception. Some people assume, oh, since you're an artist, you have people doing things for you. You're an artist. So you have an agent, you have a manager, you have a a stylist, you have a makeup artist, you have, you know, someone that's pulling the strings um, Mm -hmm. of who you are and what you should be and what you look like and what you present to other people. But Mm -hmm. that may be true for major labels, but it's not Mm -hmm. true for someone like me. That's like, that's the biggest misconception about me is that like someone else has come up with, you know, X, Y, Z, or someone else has come up with my ideas or like, especially in now that I'm in this new arena of creating video and doing music Mm -hmm. videos and like directing and creating my own music videos and like creating visual art. I can't even tell you how many people have said to me, like, wow, your videos are really cool. Who did those for you? Oh, my God. Uh. I get that question more times than I could even count. Like, people just can't wrap their brains around that I could be doing all of these things. Mm -hmm. It's so funny. Like, I used to get really pissed off when people would ask me this question. And then mm-hmm. now I just have to laugh because <laughs> because it's it is comical at this point. Yeah. Do you think that that's something that's gendered then, or is that like what is that about? I think it's partially gendered, but I think it's also I don't know. It's just it's unfamiliar. People aren't used to yeah. artists doing that. Like I'm mm-hmm. straight up doing everything by myself. Every piece of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The look of it looks like that because I made it that way. The mm-hmm. the the effects look like that because I made it that way. I mean, Mm -hmm. I'm not, I didn't go to film school. I'm doing it all Mm -hmm. trial and error. 
by checking in with myself going, do I like that? Is that working? Is that what I want to accomplish? Mm-hmm. Is that what I want people mm-hmm. to see? Is that going to uh, elicit a feeling when someone looks at it? You know? Yep. And I think people just can't fathom that, that a person would do all of that on their own. Because right. <laughs> it's right. easier to just pass it off as, oh, someone else is doing that for her. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. yeah, yeah, yeah. I often think about Patti Smith as a as a reference because a she's a New York artist, b mm-hmm. she wasn't glamorous, and she was so raw, and she was a I mean essentially a poet first. She's a poet, right. really, but her message was so strong. I love watching mm-hmm. interviews with her from back in the day. Like it's just like ah. you know she had such a unusual way of thinking for them which I feel like I really yeah. identify with. But even for her, like some her biggest hits were covers. Right. That's the same for other strong women artists, rock artists that were out there. I mean, mm-hmm. look at Joan Jett, her biggest hits a cover. Tina Turner, her biggest hits a cover. It's like, you know, there's so much of yeah. that. It's like, I don't know. It says something. Not sure what it says, but it's no, like I know. Well, something. <laughs> well, it's interesting too, because one of the things I was going to follow up with you on is just around like, how your what your approach is to like covers for you know cover tribute however you whichever however you want to take that because you've done everything from like pj harvey to judas priest right like that's Mm -hmm. a range how do you determine that and i would say especially with regard to like representation or identity and like through through the song well to me they're all kind of like similar energies pj harvey is another prime example of she was always a very like DIY energy artist and she was doing everything herself. I mean, her album covers were sometimes selfies, you know, Mm -hmm. it's just like uh, she was doing that in the nineties, you know? So it's Mm -hmm. like, but she always wrote from a very, like her female energy. I feel like I identify with similarly like Patti Smith. Like she's like, Mm -hmm. you know, she wasn't selling the glamor of it. She was selling the the authenticity and the rawness and she was selling mm-hmm. like her moods really. And like, I think that's like, it was just like a really, she, she puts a, like this like great magnifier on a female experience, mm-hmm. you know, that was not really commonly seen because she wasn't riot girl. You know, she wasn't as messy as that, you know, it was mm-hmm. more organized. Her form and her messages were very, specific uh Mm -hmm. targets about what she wanted to say and also like she's also like learning a new instrument like every album (laughs) you know it's like pretty phenomenal like what she was doing but i identify with that too you know so i'm just like yeah she's someone that did it herself and keeps doing it herself and and it seems like musically the music is there for her to keep challenging herself Uh, my choice to cover her i've been covering her for years that same self-reliant like badass energy that she has like rob halford has that too there's just there's a crop of artists that subscribe to that similar emotion and that similar baseline attitude you know i think they get i think judas priest gets lumped into that weird heavy metal to the to the outside Mm -hmm. to, to an outsider tuning in they would lump them into that weird like hair metal like attitude. It was so not that it's like, it's mm-hmm. so not that at all. The stuff that priest wrote about and the stuff that Halford was singing about was like, it, it hasn't been matched. We'll say that 
for sure. Mm -hmm. His way of telling stories and crafting songs around that particular self-reliant energy and, uh, but also like fun. It wasn't so heady, right. like fun. Right, 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 right. It was tough, you know, really raw, unadulterated power, which was exci- and like, exciting. It's almost like hyper, it seems like there's like a hyper self-awareness across yeah. these as well. Oh, for yeah. sure. And yeah. like, that's what I'm always trying to obtain because I feel like that mm-hmm. is my my weak spot to me anyway, the hyper self-awareness <laughs> <laughs> in the moment because like, you know, I can be very impulsive i can be very um self-indulgent mm-hmm. at times but, but just because you're self-indulgent does that mean you're not self-aware um no i'm aware that i'm doing it after the fact <laughs> <laughs> i'm just you know what i have a mischievous personality got it yeah i'm a mischievous yeah. person See, you're self-aware that you are a mis- yeah. that you have the mischievous like personality things kind of flying out of control excites Mm me like i like Mm -hmm. that weird space where things are kind of falling off the rails and you're not sure if it's gonna keep it together i enjoy that very 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 much (laughs) so you like so you like live performances i love live yeah took me a while to even get things down in video because video i thought was boring video was like permanent Mm-hmm. you know so i was like mm, what do i want to make a video of me performing for because i'm going to do it a different way tomorrow so and like i liked something about like doing the performance and you were either there or you missed it mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. but now i somewhere along the lines like the gears shifted and video became my thing because i just realized that most people will never see me live so because mm-hmm. of that I have to make the performance accessible to them. And mm-hmm. that was the main mission in doing the music videos. Right. That makes sense. You're like, if you're not going to be able to replicate a live performance for people who aren't going to be there, like how can you get that energy in a different way? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's why all the videos take on this surreal dimension. Mm-hmm. They live in this weird, surreal, psychedelic space because I'm trying to convey that that's what it feels like being at a show, you know, or, right. or whatever it's like to like, just be immersed in my sound. I always wanted to be like uh, psychedelic and kind of surreal and um, supernatural. So, yeah. So on that, like, this is a gear podcast, right? So oh, yeah. <laughs> let's, let's, let's talk about gear, let's shall we? Let's talk about so, gear. Like, so this feels like a good segue because it's like, so first of all, like, what do you use for your mic? Would you have a particular mic that you prefer to use, like monitors, anything like that? I'm a New York City artist, and I've had to put up with mangy sound systems. <laughs> I have had to put up with, I had to put up with like the sleek, expensive sound systems too, which right. aren't always great. You know, I, I am proud to say, after touring a lot, I've gotten to a place where I can play on anything. You know, mm-hmm. and just like try to make the best of whatever that unit is offering. I try to make my own band, like my solo band, I try to make it very mutable. So depending on the space, I can either, you know, minimalize or augment my band. So like sometimes mm-hmm. when you come see me, maybe it's just me and two other people. You know, sometimes when mm-hmm. you come see me solo, maybe it's just me. Or sometimes you see me solo and it's 14 people. <laughs> you know, I've done right. I've done all all of that in between as well. So it really depends upon the space. 
budget, you know, yeah, it depends upon who's available. It depends upon what I'm trying to achieve. One of the things I think about a lot too is around the treatment of vocals. I guess this is two different things. So one is like when you're performing do you um, have particular effects that you are drawn to in your either your performing or your recording setup? Like, mm-hmm. are you like, I love this, this particular type of reverb or this like, I like this amount of distortion or lo-fi to like, give me this edge mm-hmm. for particular things. I don't know how, how do you treat that? Well, usually for like vocal settings, I like, you know, I like the bass up about halfway and then I turn the treble up like to like a seven, you know? And mm-hmm. then I turn the mid like down, you know, mm-hmm. because I feel like I need the low cut and I need the high cut just to like, mm-hmm. because it's heavy music. So anything that's mid range, you can get lost, you know, cause the guitars often sit in that space. And as far as effects, I like a little bit of, a little bit of reverb and a, and a little, and a little bit of gain. I guess I kind of keep it generally clean on the off times when I am using effects it's rare, but the off mm-hmm. times when I am using effects, I like a really, really late delay. So it sounds mm-hmm. like Carol Ann and Poltergeist is coming through the Whoa. ceiling. You know, I like it to be very late, <laughs> you know, so you're like, what is it's, it? I like it to sound supernatural. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So like, I'll yeah. make that delay super late. Uh, What else would I say? As far as like guitar effects, I like a really like low fuzz guitar you know, a lot of crunch, a lot of distortion, real metal, you know, mm-hmm. modern metal sounding. I don't know. I, it Honestly, it depends upon the song. I feel like you have such a wide range mm-hmm. that it's hard to like gener- make that general statement. That makes a lot of sense to mm-hmm. me. Do you have like a particular gar- guitar that you play most often or anything like that? Yeah, well, I have uh, the guitars that I have were given to me. I actually have a guitar endorsement, if you can believe it. Um, nice. <laughs> from DRG, which is formerly known as Daisy Rock Girl Guitars, mm-hmm. which a lot of people talk shit about Daisy Rock, but let me tell you, I have small hands, and to me, they were <laughs> they were a godsend because like yeah. my hands are tiny. I can't, my claw is not popping like it's just <laughs> boy was too wide, you know. Yeah. So when I got the guitar, I was like, oh, this feels so good, you know. Mm-hmm. So uh, Tish over at Daisy Rock, you know, hooked mm-hmm. me up with this. Like, I have a great like the Platinum Sparkle, you know, mm-hmm. guitar. Um, I also for bass, I use Ibanez, which I love my Ibanez, but you know, it was a gift. It was given to me, so like I actually mm-hmm. still have it. I've been playing it for forever. Nice, my purple bass, Violet. I missed. I miss playing bass sometimes, but. I mean, I'm a lead singer. Let's face it. I am just, I'm a front <laughs> person and I need my body to do that. Um, yeah. No, I mean, I feel like it's good to know what your, like, your focus is. Sometimes. Yeah. I mean, sometimes Hone I miss it, but I'm just such a front person, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I could mm-hmm. do the two together, but honestly, the rhythms that I write are so complex. It's really mm-hmm. tough to sing it and play it at the same time. Right. There's a lot of weird polyrhythms and time signatures that go against the vocal like it's just it's really hard to play I've always had to you know track parts separately on demos and things like that you know it's funny when people go like oh I didn't know you played da 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 I'm like yeah and you you won't because it's like that's how I write my shit but then again it goes back to that thing where people can't imagine that you're doing all the things right you know but I also play piano like you know it's like the people you're like see that 
because you're I like classically trained pianist, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. P- yeah. I mean, it's like ca- it's casual. Yeah, right. I know. <laughs> it's so funny because like it's just it all subscribes to this belief. Like if it's not on Instagram, that's it didn't happen. It's not real. So like when I was growing up, like the only point of reference I had for what I wanted to do was Tina Turner. And she was my mom's mm. generation. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I mean, I can do that, but she's older. But, you know, like there was no yeah. reference for me other than that, you know, yep. at the time that I knew of Prince, mm-hmm. you know. OK, so like those were my two references but even then they weren't doing music like as heavy as what i liked right you know even though they're great i mean the songs are poppy and popular a lot of people said to me like why do you like that heavy music like that's not what you're supposed to be listening to you know Mm -hmm. things like that would be said and so like when i actually you know came to new york and met other you know people that were doing rock rock and roll that were of color like I was right. like, look, ma, like, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. And then like the afropunk right. scene, and then all the kind of stuff. And yeah. then it turns out there's all of these people that are into it, mm-hmm. you know. So it was like, and I've heard, had so many of these like newer artists that are coming up now that go like, oh yeah, my my parents said, you know, that like people of color don't do heavy metal and rock. And then I showed them you. So Aww. like now I'm the, the blueprint or template or whatever. It's kind of funny that's what I would have appreciated growing up is just to right. be like, Oh, like I'm not a weirdo. I mean, I am a weirdo, but I'm not a, um, <laughs> not the only weirdo. I'm not the only weirdo. <laughs> yeah. You know? So like, that's the cool thing about it is the unifying properties of it, you know? For sure. I mean, yeah, yeah that's yeah. why there's all those damn Facebook groups and you know, all this mm-hmm. kind of stuff. And Mm-hmm. You know, we're like music and gear freaks and that's why we're connecting, mm-hmm. you know? So it's yeah, like, yeah. wouldn't you have loved this when you were 10? Oh my God, for sure. Yeah. yeah. I had seen you on a panel at Nam, mm-hmm. Right. And you've been going to Nam. like how, when did you start going to Nam? would you say? Like when's the first time? I started time? going to Nam in like 2005 or six. Wait, okay. no, no, no. Yeah. 2005 or six. The first time I went out was with D Snyder. Cause I was, uh-huh. I was in uh, Van Helsing's curse at the time. Let me tell you that put the bar really high. <laughs> my Nam experience, you know, it was just like first time going out here with like lead singer of twisted sister. Sure. Um, yeah. and doing a new show with him and like being the, like at the time I was the only soloist in the show, you know, mm. so, like, that was kind of wild. So when we went out, we played at the Grove Mm-hmm. like I forget what party it was but it was like it was a big performance at the Grove and it was like all right and they were throwing endorsements at me and it was just like oh wow I did, but I didn't understand any of it like I didn't know like what mm-hmm. the it was I just knew that I was being bombarded and it was fun it was a wild ride but I came there to do a show so I wasn't trying to fuck with all this you know like I was like what do I have to do to be sponsored like I didn't you know it's like I didn't know <laughs> you know like, what am I what are you expecting of me so I, I kept going. I had never heard of it before until that point. Mm-hmm. And then I just, I kept going back because yeah, I got sponsors and needed to like, you know, connect with my sponsors and do events sure. with them and, you know, speak and all this kind of stuff. And Nam honestly is like one of my favorite things of the year. I look mm-hmm. forward to it every year. Like to me, it just sets the tone for the year. Like it's like mm-hmm. January, new year, like going to Nam, seeing new gear, meeting new yep. people, saying hi to friends, going to great shows, doing some great shows. Like, 
like there's moments that happen at Nam that just can't happen anywhere else because we're all there, you know. Yeah. First time I seen noticed- in color was at Nam. You know? Oh, right. So like yeah. Same mm-hmm. candle box at Nam. I mean, it's like mm-hmm. so many cool opportunities. As someone who's been going for a while, like, have you noticed any changes over the years, especially with regard to things related to diversity and like gender and things like that? So, yeah. Yeah. um, I think the people that get sponsored or the people that are performing and representing brands, it is finally becoming more diverse. Like diversity is the, is the, Mm -hmm. is the hot button. Definitely. I've noticed that it's been more women focused. I would say it's more women focused mm-hmm. than even people of color focused. I would say it's more women friendly. Yeah, now. for sure. Um, a lot of brands are really clamoring to get great music, female musicians visibility, you know, in their brands. Mm-hmm. Uh, people of color is, you know, it's like you could argue and say like it's a it's a box checking thing that they're trying right. to get at, even though that exists. They're not just putting anybody into those into that spotlight i would say yeah sometimes for people who just like they want the visual or whatever you know it's definitely on it's at the forefront of everybody's minds and branding and marketing and things like that um so like the thing that you and i were at was uh, uh, Mm a branding to attract people of color and diverse audiences and women things like that which is important Mm -hmm. you know for instrument purchases and gear and things like that but also there's a like i said at that um, talk there is a huge cross-section of people that always like get left out of this conversation and that is older women women that have had children usually or they had projects or they've worked all their career maybe they left the business out of frustration and then came back and those are people that have the money now to buy quality gear they want quality gear and they want to play and maybe they're kind of like turned off because the branding and marketing is always geared towards like kids or students right. or whatever. But there's a huge market there. <laughs> right. And you had said some of your bandmates had had some weird experiences related to that. Well, sure, because like yeah. Judas Priestess is a multi-generational band. You know, the oldest member of the band is 65. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're touring. She loves her gear. We're playing. It's kind of unique because I honestly can't think of any other band that has this multi-generational thing. It's like we've got a member in our 60s. We've got a mem- we got members in their 50s, members in their 40s, and member uh, one member in their 30s. It's really now like being in a, in a band that has that range of, mm. of age. I interpret the world differently just because of being with them. I remember when I first joined the, joined the band, you know, so the older members would say things like, I can't compete with somebody, who, you know, who's 20 years old on mm-hmm. stage. They're not going to look at me. They're going to look at the younger always. Never thought about that before. I, don't know, I would say like, what is it like being older? Like, how is it different for you? And they would say like, being older, it's like people don't really look at you sometimes, especially as a woman, you know, who's performing. Yeah, it's like you disappear yeah and i've heard this story from like people that were once models that got older you Mm -hmm. know like i've heard that kind of sentiment before it's made me more aware of ageism i think that as far as brands one thing they can do to be different or reach out is maybe reach out to that huge demographic oh my god it's so huge 
humongous. Is everything about this demographic to win at this point? It's, mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, so so I ran a the girls rock camp here for like 10 years or whatever. Oh, cool. And we had an we had an adult camp as well. And like people are itching. Like they have years of like pent up energy mm-hmm. that they want to get out, you know, mm-hmm. like and they've been either, you know, for folks that are just starting out, like that's one thing. It's another thing for folks who maybe like had to take a huge break because they had kids and like had all those responsibilities and so it's like they're like ready Mm -hmm. to like get deep in it they want to make a statement they want to 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 play from their heart finally yeah it's like it's like i'll never forget like (laughs) um there was a story about sonic youth and uh Kim, you know, like she, she said something like, yeah, we, we got off, we got off tour and then all these guys got wives that they could go home to and get taken care of. She was like, I want a wife. I want to be taken care of. Like, wife. And I was like, it's true. Like, it's just like fucking, a. Yeah. it's like with women, it's like always been this choice. Like, do you have kids? Do you not? Can you have it all? Probably not. Unless you do that thing where you're able mm-hmm. to carve out the time for your creative self. Or you put mm-hmm. your creative self off for years. One of my bandmates, she's got three kids. She put her creative self off for years, and now she's playing. And now she's, yep. like, doing more, like, than she ever did. Like, you're only valued if you're older, if you're a name, or you did something, you know, if you did something right. that was part of something big. Right. You know? But even, like, like Alice Bag was on the show. Do you know mm-hmm. Alice Bag? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> so she was on recently and was talking basically about this exact thing because she had like, you know, obviously she was a part of like the 70s punk mm-hmm. like underground scene or whatever in L.A. Uh, and, you know, so had a name for herself there. But she, even she had to like take a big break. She had, yeah. you know, had kids and like, you know, right. took a step back and like I think was doing some stuff. But like now she's totally so deep in it. See, yeah. Now, you know? Yeah. I mean, look um, at, like, like, those bands that, like, were going strong and then took a break and now they're back. I mean, like, yeah. you know, Luna Chicks are back. L7's back. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Bikini Kill is back. You know, all those things. Mm-hmm. And, like, and selling out arenas and sh- or selling out big, big rooms. You can't tell me that their voices aren't useful now, you know. There's all of that that I think the industry is choosing to leave out for vanity's sake. But not the men. The men are allowed to keep outputting, you know, for forever right. if they want to. Have you have you seen a difference? So, you know, talking about age, have you seen a difference generally across all these different like mediums that you work in with how like progressive they are in certain areas? All the arts are behind mm-hmm. across the board. I honestly can say, though, as far as the conversation of women being featured more predominantly has gotten better. And as far as people of color, maybe the conversation has gotten better. But as far as Mm -hmm. output of work, quality work or work that gets taken seriously or work that gets money behind it, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. I don't think it's changed that dramatically. Mm -hmm. I think it's more of a slow burn. It's not hasn't been a jump it's more like a conversation but no action kind of yeah i definitely think that like yeah now more people are talking about it uh is it acted upon with people that have the genuine power to change Mm, not necessarily um i know we were talking about like you know we were talking about steven spielberg 
and we were talking about uh-huh. his movies and I'm going down this like Steven Spielberg rabbit hole right now of all <laughs> phenomenal films and uh-huh. I was watching The Color Purple the other night um, mm. with like fresh eyes trying to like really uh, watch it for you know what it is and like how pretty flawless it is through and through you know mm-hmm. as far as casting and story and, and musically and everything and I watched the behind the scenes of it and oh uh, fascinating and the author that wrote the color purple alice walker said Mm -hmm. it was a provision in her deal with uh the production company that they had to hire people of color in the crew i mean that was back then that was 1986 maybe something like that that was like unheard of Mm -hmm. you know and like now people talk about doing that how many companies actually do that? I'm not sure. Here's the like pit of despair with that is that <laughs> it ends up being, like I said, box checking instead mm-hmm. of merit. Right. You know, it ends up being this like affirmative action thing versus people that are actually qualified to do the job um, are there on their own merit. So I think that's my issue with like the the ploy for diversity is that like, Mm -hmm. you know, there's, I've had people say to me flat out like, Oh yeah, well we wanted to get you because we had, we were told to find somebody that was a person of color and female, Mm -hmm. you know? And I'm just like, okay, like, Uh uh, glad I could check that off for you. I'm not here because I'm good at what I do, you know? So like, that's, that's the game right now. Yeah, it like automatically makes you feel like all of the work that you've done is not important. Right, right. Yeah, it's just like, it's exactly. So it's like, so then how do you prove that you're there because you're good enough to be there versus you're there to make a company look good because of how accepting they are? (laughs) Mm -hmm. So how do you do that? Like, what is that? What does that mean? How do you do it? Still working on it. <laughs> <laughs> but I think because I but I think this is like the ongoing question, right? Because I sure. think that's like um, the only thing that I can do about it is like just keep making the work and outputting the work that I need to do. So there's no question mm-hmm. of why I'm there. If if there's this like box checking for whatever identity, like you always you feel like you have to work twice three times as hard well, sure. to prove yourself well right? i knew that already yeah. that's why i'm doing well right things. but like yeah. <laughs> my mom <laughs> told me that you know, yeah um so and that's fine like i i'm not opposed to doing hard work believe me but i think that uh the idea of being the token in any situation mm-hmm. you know it's a it's always it's always there. And I don't think there's anything that I could do or anyone else could do to make it different at this point. I think that over time, people are going to get used to seeing, you know, bronze and bronze and beige faces doing all the things, you know, I mean, there's like, Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm a product of an interracial situation. Um, Mm -hmm. So, that wasn't so common when I was growing up, but now it seems like they're bloody everywhere. So it's like, <laughs> you know, you can't like turn on the TV without seeing some ethnically ambiguous person with curly hair, mm-hmm. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. that's just the mm-hmm. book. You know, it's just like, and I just go, wow, because yeah, then I think about when I was growing up, and you didn't see that. Mm-hmm. And if you did see them, they were blended in in some way. Like if you, even if you watch the Cosby Show, Lisa Bonet right. was mixed, but yeah, not on the show. She wasn't. You know, it's like mm-hmm. it's like it's weird, like be, how being like uh, multi ethnic in America is perceived these days. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you how do you think things might have felt for you differently if you had seen that representation? It just would have been mm-hmm. more yeah. normal. It just would have been. It yeah. wouldn't have been taboo. You know, mm-hmm. it wouldn't have been such an oddity. But like I, where I grew up, there was, you know, mixed kids were common. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until I left that town that I realized with the harsh reality smack in the face that it wasn't common, you know? So, like, uh, the fact that now people are getting with the program, like, that's pretty great because I feel like all of those, all of those hangups are so petty and, like, insignificant, and they've always been. It's just mm-hmm. people this long to realize how insignificant it is. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, and that's the thing, too, is like, it's just like, if that's, for me, it's, it's so important that everyone like self music is so powerful, right? It's like, it can provide so much to so many people and the space for self expression and the space for community that it provides all of that. Um, It just seems so important to me that everyone should feel like they have access to it, regardless of their identity, right? And, um, and, 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 you know, perhaps because of their identity, right? Like bringing everyone in, because that's, you know, it's that it's so important for everyone to be able to do that and to be a part of it. So, um, yeah, so that's that's it. That's why we're doing it here. So we're having this conversation. I think it's great. Uh, all right. So I just have like a couple last questions for you. Um, so one is like, who else do you think I should interview? Yeah, you should interview uh, an artist named Sate, S-A-T-E, okay. in mm-hmm. Toronto, Canada. Who else would be good to interview for it? Hmm. Let me get back to you on that. I'll email you yeah, a couple more please people do. that I think you should speak to. Cool. So I want to leave folks with a way to follow up with you, get in contact with you, like your social media, et cetera. Uh, how, can, how can folks stay in touch? Yeah, you can find me on social media at maliciasmyname.com. And that's M-I-L-I-T-I-A. Don't get it mm-hmm. twisted. Just like a militia. You can go to my website, uh, maliciasmyname.com or maliciavox.com. If you are interested in listening and purchasing music, please go to Bandcamp. It's um, maliciavox.bandcamp.com, I think it is. And what else? Definitely follow me on Spotify because I post Spotify playlists. Oh, cool. I make some playlists that are fun and 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 exciting that you can throw on and like you know clean your house or whatever you feel like you want to do dance naked yeah just uh just be in touch with me i like to hear from people i like to hear people's perspectives uh thank you so much for being on the show i really really appreciate it this has been a super fun conversation thank you hillary thank you whoa dang 
Militia had some truly wild stories, and I feel like I'm saying wild a lot, but it also feels very right. Uh, so it was really rad to get a chance to talk with her. Obviously, she had a lot to contribute. Um, and as she mentioned, I had originally met her after seeing her on a panel on diversity at NAM, where I'd heard her delve a bit into this conversation around gender and ageism, or as some folks refer to it, gendered ageism in music and the music ear industry. And, you know, I'm going to follow that line here for a minute and discuss five issues related to gender and age in music. There are, of course, others. Um, and I'm going to, you know, I just think that these are some of the most important ones to start with. So this is like the beginning. I will also note that I'm using the term older woman here and that I'm just going to roll with 55 plus because that's how it's defined by AARP. But in a culture that mostly values cis women for their appearance, one could argue that the term, especially in the areas of entertainment, could go as low as 35 or 40. Other people might be like, nah, it's not till 70. So I, I just want to mention that there, there, there's a wild range of definitions there. So, um, of course, uh, caveats that there also are many intersections here. One, and, and gender and age, of course, in and of themselves are an intersection, but one being gender and motherhood. And, you know, there are mothers of a range of ages as well, but this is addressing the assumption that folks around cis, uh, have around cis women and their roles in society and intersecting identities. And yes, I know rigs of dad is a thing, but no one is assuming that dad isn't playing in the first place. Uh, and ageism is real for cis men as well, but it takes on a very different flavor than cis women. And also, as you've probably noticed, since the focus here is on cis women, there's also a very simple sort of like binary analysis going on here because that is the way that our culture frames it. Um, wanted to note that as well. So let's dig into a few issues with gender, ageism, motherhood, and music gear. All right, issue one, barriers to older women playing. First, older women were once younger women. I know this is this is all news to you. From conversations with many folks, uh, I had a lot over the years through like ladies rock camps and the like a lot of folks were told that they weren't supposed to play a very loud instrument their parents would buy a drum set for their brother but then they had to play the flute they were told it's unladylike they got married and had a kid really young or had a kid really young so they didn't have time to play when they were younger they were socialized to focus on everyone but themselves so they never had um, time to or would take the time to learn because they thought it was selfish they never saw themselves represented as musicians, and so they didn't, you know, think to learn it. Uh, they thought their roles were as a fan or a groupie, not on stage, because that's how they were, you know, portrayed. Um, you know, definitely not an engineer or producer either. Uh, of course, we know that some, but not all of these things have changed. But if you grew up with that experience, it can definitely shape your pursuit of music, right? Uh, in the same way that there are conversations about a leaky pipeline, quote unquote, for women entering tech or STEM, STEM fields, right? Uh, the same is the case for playing an instrument or entering the music gear industry. Issue two, is that for your son? Question mark. <laughs> Across a number of interviews, uh, we've already heard folks rail on the like, is this for your boyfriend trope? But I think at this point, it's almost like a flip switches at some point where uh, is this for your boyfriend goes to is this for your son? And then there's assumption that if a woman over, say, like 35 walks into a music store that she's buying something for her kid, then at some point, <laughs> I think it switches to husband and it just, you know, it's never for her. Right. Uh, so then making those kinds of assumptions can really turn older women off, especially if they don't have children or aren't married or 
aren't married to a cis man. Check that out. Uh, the issue three. Older women are prime customers, um, and Militia mentioned this as well. So these assumptions about, um, you know, women not playing are especially bad for companies because as a demographic, older women are prime customers. As mentioned in the interview, and obviously they are prime people in the world, as we all know, like this shouldn't just be framed in terms of people. This is just the right thing to do. But uh, if you're a company, you're likely trying to sell things. So as mentioned in the interview uh, in Running Ladies Rock Camps, like many of these women have been dying to play for years uh, and have just never had the time or they used to play and now they do have and, and now they finally do have the time. Uh, and these women are jazzed and ready. They are primed. They are ready to go uh, for sure. And they would often come to me after camp specifically looking for gear recommendations. Uh, and if they're older, it is also possible that they or their partner might have advanced in their career to the point that they have made some real money and they have money to spend. Uh, for example, if they are a beginner bass player, they might skip the like Squire Bronco bass or whatever and go directly to the Mustang. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, that's a several hundred dollar jump between a mom buying something for her kid and buying something a little nicer for herself. And of course, you know, many women have been playing for years and want to work with reliable, respectable companies as well. Issue four, older women exist. I know this is shocking. Uh, the other issue that comes up a lot is that, you know, although sometimes there are stereotypes about them, another problem is when they are ignored completely, right? Uh, look at any music gear company's Instagram. Just pull one up right now. Did you pull it up? Okay. Uh, how many older women are you seeing included here? Even companies that do a better job with representation of gender and diversity uh, around race, perhaps, um, they, you know, oftentimes are still only pre presenting younger folks, right? Older men are often given accolades in some cases. Well, you know, they're seen as like these seasons mature um, or like the classics, right? While older women are often ignored. Um, once again, you know, in a society where women are valued for their appearance, they disappear when they age out, quote unquote, of attractiveness. Issue five, older women don't give a fuck. Older women probably aren't going to put up with your bullshit as a company if they aren't treated well. They'll spend, the, you know, they spend a lifetime building up a well of resources to get them to where they need to go, and they will move on to another company. Uh, with that, if the companies specifically work to represent them and their needs, they could very easily reap the benefits. Simple. All right. Okay, in closing, older women have led the way in a bajillion different ways. It would be rad to do a quick audit uh, of your marketing and your training. Think about ways to serve them better if possible. I know you want to. Um, and definitely shoot me a message if you want to talk about this more. Uh, thanks again for listening. I really, really appreciate it. If you have a second to subscribe, rate, or review the show, I would be forever grateful. See you next time.